Hello, and welcome to the University Guy podcast. I'm David Hawkins, an independent college counsellor from England, and in this podcast, I explore the world of international university admissions. This episode continues the series of conversations with inspiring thinkers from the world of international higher education admissions, with the opportunity to pause and reflect on the past, current and future state of this profession. In this episode, I'm exploring the world of small liberal arts colleges in the United States. Today now I'm joined by Jenny Howenstein, and Jenny is someone with a, a huge amount of experience both in the field of international university admissions and also as a world traveller, and hopefully he's going to be able to offer us some great insights today. So Jenny, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be with you. Fantastic. So Jenny, uh, tell us a little bit now about, about what you do, the college you work for, uh, and the sort of things you do on a day-by-day -day basis. Sure. I work at St. Olaf College, and that's a liberal arts and science college in Northfield, Minnesota. That's the north central part of the United States. And we are a pretty traditional liberal arts and science college. There's 3,000 students, strong sciences, social sciences, humanities. Um, talk more about liberal arts later if you want to. Um, very residential and really strong community of students. So that's something that keeps me at St. Olaf. It's a part that I really like. And at St. Olaf, this is, I've been there 20 years now. I'm one of the associate deans in the admissions office and the director of international recruitment. So for the last 10 years, I've worked with international students and think that I have the absolute dream job. I get to travel around the world and meet students and families at high schools and college fairs and interviews in different places and um, all over the place and then work with them through the process. And an equally wonderful part of my job is then getting to know the students who decide to enroll and work with them a little bit on campus as well as they navigate their their college experience. That's amazing. So if this is the dream job, how did you get into the dream job? Yeah, um, well, like a lot of people in admissions and maybe higher education or college counseling in general, um, probably a lot of us say that we never expected to or never knew that this was a career possibility. Uh, but going way back to my own college search, I, I do remember my dad saying there was a, a different small college in Wisconsin and I had a particularly good relationship with the admissions officer at that school. And I can picture walking out of the college fair one night and my dad said, you'd be really good at that job. That would be a really good job <laughs> for you. Totally put it out of my head, but, but I've thought back to that a couple of times. Um, I did work in the admissions office as a student and I was a tour guide, ran the tour guide program, worked here for a summer, um, during between my junior and senior year, third and fourth year. And I was a biology and psychology major at St. Olaf, um, graduated 20 years ago and was looking for jobs more in the sciences, wanted to eventually work in a hospital, was certainly thinking graduate programs and kind of as an in-between um, kind of job that a lot of people look for the year after college. It was my dad again who said, you know what, you really liked your St. Olaf experience and you really liked working in admissions. You should think about being an admissions <laughs> officer. And at that time, you know, my last year in college, I was like, absolutely not. 
I'm leaving. I'm going other places and, and far, far away. Um, but ended up talking to a lot of people, deciding that this was the job I wanted and finally got it after a couple of months of interviews and then started, worked with U.S. students for 10 years. So various regional territories around the United States, always based in, here in Northfield, Minnesota, um, but worked with U.S. students through the process. And then it was kind of a winding path. I had the opportunity to go on one of St. Olaf's study abroad programs in 2007. And it was at the time it was called Term in the Middle East. And we spent four months in Turkey, Morocco and Egypt. I was one of the assistant program leaders. And so it was my little sabbatical from admissions. And then when I came back, I was asked to do international recruitment. So that's that was the, the path to working with international students. And since then, did my graduate work in international education and um, have certainly gotten a lot more involved in the field, realizing that it is it can definitely be a lifelong career path. Absolutely. So was St. Olaf doing much international stuff when you were you stepped into that role? Um, great question. Years ago. Yeah. I mean, historically, St. Olaf has has done work with international students for sure. But there was a time, really my first 10 years, um, that financial priorities were just, finances were put in other places. There were different priorities that the college was looking at. And then really in 2008, um, when I was asked to do this is when when a lot of the financial commitment um, came along as well. And we were able to provide more financial aid and scholarship to international students. So it really was the last 10 years that that there was a greater commitment from the college and certainly we were more pro certainly more proactive with recruiting. My predecessor um, is a wonderful person still in the field and he laid a really incredible foundation of work that he did and he was one of the hardest workers I know but at the time we just didn't have the same financial aid um, opportunities so when when that came along it really his foundation plus the financial aid really made it possible to um, do some good work these last 10 years. That's a fascinating, interesting. It kind of makes me think if you you, know, you step into that role and the college says, right, we've, we're going to make that financial commitment. And I can also imagine looking at a map of the world thinking, well, well where do I go? What, yeah. is that, what is that thought process like? How do you decide where your priorities are going to be? You can't spend 365 days of the year living out of a, a carry-on. Yeah. What was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, for us at St. Olaf and the year that I jumped into this role, it was the same year that we started as a Davis partner. Um, so the, the Davis partnership program, the 90 some schools in the U S who are recruiting and enrolling the students from the United world colleges. Uh, that was the first year that we were a partner. And part of that relationship or part of that commitment is that, uh, the schools involved will proactively recruit from the United World Colleges and make a point to visit and and certainly recruit the students who are there. So really, that is is a combination of of jumping in and learning about the United World Colleges and making a point to visit the schools and then Council of International Schools. My first international tour was a CIS Asia tour, and I did one in September of 2008 and then September of 2009. Uh, and that was really my introduction into international recruitment travel. I got to travel with 
some of the best in the field um, and had some great mentors because of those programs. So it was a combination of doing some large group travel that was really well organized um, and got me into places in the world that are important to think about with international recruitment and in Asia in particular, and then balancing that with the UWCs around the world and, and making a point to visit those. Wow. It's amazing to think that, that from from those kind of humble beginnings, St. Olaf is the name that it is with you know, inspiring students coming from all over the world to study in Minnesota. It, it's it's quite impressive. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I've um, just felt really fortunate to be at a place that that has made the commitment and gives me a lot of opportunity to um, try new things and and pay attention to what's going on in the world and what what other schools are doing and, and what makes good sense. And then um, year year to year, looking at successes and what we can do better and um, kind of making tweaks as you go. Great. So apart from that kind of change of building and developing a, an international program, over the, the time of your career when you've been doing admissions work, I guess domestically and internationally, what, what changes have you noticed? What, what things kind of stand out? Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, I think, is just the overwhelming amount of marketing and information that's out there for students. Um, I don't think, you know, that would be the case for not just higher education, not just colleges and universities, but just the fact that students and families do have so much more access to information, which is a great thing. But then when you layer that with with marketing that schools do and the messaging that schools put out there to students, I think it can make it an easier process for students around the world because they can get the information they need, but then they also have to weed through a lot of the the messages and um, how we all market things and try to navigate that. And I think that can make it more challenging sometimes. Um, I think there's increasingly a lot more targeted marketing towards students and um, really focusing on what particular students want from different places or with different interests. So again, it can make the process a lot more similar or a lot more personal. But uh, at the same time, you don't want to um, you don't want to get away from the value of real one-on-one -on -one communication with people. And I think from the very you know first emails and conversations of students that I had. 10 years ago and, and 20 years ago at the very beginning, um, I remember a student saying as we were growing internationally, he did remind me, he said, well, Jenny, it's it's really important as we get more and more applications that you still take the time to make the kind of relationship that I had with this student through the process because that's so important. So I think it's, uh, I'm rambling kind of, but to thinking of, of the marketing and how challenging that can be, but really going back to the roots and to make sure that the personal relationship is still the um, foundation of, of the process, I think to me is really important. Yeah, I, I, I agree entirely. It's quite often when I reflect now a number of years into my career here and seeing people who've, who I've met when they worked for one, one college and have moved to another place as a, as a council of international students, particularly if I'm you know, advising students to consider colleges, potentially like St. Olaf, where I haven't yet had the opportunity to visit, Mm -hmm. knowing that there's going to be someone like you and, and your colleagues looking after the students at the other end, that they've had the opportunity to build that relationship is yeah. is hugely important. So f from a counsellor to, to the college side, thank you for, for the time that you do. It's 
it makes yeah. a huge difference knowing that there's there's people there to continue the work that we as councillors have done. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of approach, I think, is probably you know, indicative of what a small liberal arts college is able to do. You, know, you, you studied yourself at St. Olaf, you've worked at St. Olaf, but I'm intrigued, particularly as someone who's British and we don't have that kind of model of small liberal arts colleges. And actually, yeah. sometimes it's quite hard with the students I counsel to get them to consider places like St. Olaf because they can't find them in world rankings. They don't quite understand yeah. that kind of idea. Yeah. How do you find working for a small liberal arts college different from maybe peers who work for large research universities or public flagships and things? Yeah, um, I think we we do have the opportunity to keep things a lot more personal than they are at large schools. And it's completely a function of numbers and and time and just being able to give good attention to the students who are interested in applying. Um, and it's not because one type of school wants to do that and the other doesn't want to do that. It's just really a function of, of time and opportunity. Um, so I think the ability to have a real personal process, both on the front end and then um, very much so once a student is here on, on campus or a campus like St. Olaf, but then also personally and professionally to be able to work at a small school, I think has allowed me to, to have a lot more experiences outside of my job description um, in a great way. And, you know, there's there's whole offices of recruiting and admissions and, you know, student advising and orientation organizers and all this at large universities, whereas at small schools, you know, it can be a pro and a con, but we get to wear many different hats. And because of that, I think the job is, to me, more interesting, more energizing when you're not doing the same thing all the time. And like I said before, you can really get to see the student through their whole experience as they're admitted and then once they're a student I get to assist in planning the international orientation program and I don't feel like I'd have an opportunity like that if I was at a large university where I really just had to focus on you know tens of thousands of applications coming in <laughs> yeah well, we were, were chatting about earlier um before i started recording the podcast and saying you've just been back from from rwanda and swaziland and if i'm sure if i asked you how many countries in the world you'd you'd visited i'd be extraordinarily jealous but you you, you do travel to places and you meet students who've got very different conceptions of what university is yeah. like you know typically it's research universities and you're very yep. independent and huge yep. numbers of things over the time you've been traveling internationally, how do you make that pitch for a small liberal arts college to students who really, you know, as I would have been as a 17, 18 year old, have no conception of what St. Olaf and others like it is going to be like? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think that's why I think that's why there is interest in the liberal arts around the world, even though it's a concept that may not be as common or well known, certainly 10, 20 years ago. I think it's becoming a lot more popular. Uh, but I think the interest is because it's not unique to the U.S. and there's certainly great opportunities increasingly around the world, especially in Europe, to find a liberal arts education. But I think when students decide that they're interested in liberal arts, it's because they can have an experience that's likely different than university in their home country. And usually that's smaller classes, more interaction with professors from the very beginning, not having to wait to a graduate or research opportunity. Um, the ability to be undecided about your academic interests is 
something pretty um, common to the liberal arts model and might be very different for a student if they're looking at universities in other countries. So just that flexibility in saying you can jump right into the area that you think you're interested in right now, but if you're your ideas change and you're taking classes that spark interest in other areas in those first two years, you still have the ability to really change the course of your academic path. And for some students, that's, that's exciting. Um, the interdisciplinary approach, really pulling together classes and opportunities in so many different academic areas, I think is something that students like. And thinking of size, I mean, that's not exclusive to liberal arts, but when you think of the small class and the smaller residential type of college, uh, a lot of students really value that in their high school experience. They may be going to a high school that they love being able to get to know their teachers and they love being able to participate in class or have good discussions in their high school. And it's interesting that even if someone has really loved that experience, it sometimes takes a good conversation to explain that that's what they could look forward to at a liberal arts college um, and that they don't have to go into a large lecture environment for the undergraduate experience. If it's something, if they learn well in that environment and if it's something that they valued in, in their high school secondary education experience, that liberal arts could be a good, good path for them. Absolutely. I, mean, something, I find it fascinating having come out of a, Sort of, you know, my own education and my teaching career and the start of my counseling career in the British boarding school model um, and that model of kind of an all-round education is something that's spreading around the world now with lots of, of British branch campuses opening up in Asia and the Middle East of, of yeah. this idea that knowing your professors and you know, music and sports and drama and debating and political engagement yeah. and part of the community as opposed to just turning up to high school and taking some classes and going away again this is this is a model that's that's growing yeah. And I really find it fascinating as someone who's not American, who's not grown up in that model, to look at places like St. Olaf and see an education that, that the word always comes back to me is transformative. Yeah. You, you take mm -hmm. a, a student with some raw materials and some gifts and talents and you pull them and stretch them and challenge them and make them think. Um, mm -hmm. St. Olaf, I know, is part of the colleges that change lives. And, and I, yeah. I, I, as many nascent college counselors will have read that book and been inspired by it. You know, for those who maybe haven't heard of that term and that group of colleges, what does colleges that change lives actually mean? Yeah, um, it is a wonderful group of colleges. And the the group was brought together originally uh, through a book written by Lauren Pope. And it has continued as as a group and an organization that continues to travel together for college fairs and um, offers a lot of opportunities for students, both in the U.S. and around the world. But the idea, I think, that that he had, and my understanding is that the organization continues to have, is that there's these this group of colleges in the U.S., and I believe there's 40-some in the book right now in the organization, and there could be hundreds in the U.S., so it's certainly not exclusive to this small group of 40 uh, but the, there's a group of colleges in the U.S. that students probably haven't heard about around the world. It's not the group of big name schools that when you ask a classroom of students, they can all name the top five yeah. schools that come to mind. These are schools that they likely have never heard of, but that the students who are attending there have found to be very transformational and um, that they have opportunity 
sometimes no matter St. Olaf happens to be one of the more selective schools in the book, um, academically selective. And they're schools that are accessible to a lot of different types of students coming from a lot of different academic backgrounds. And I think that's a really important thing. I think when students have an idea of the top ranked universities in the world and set their sights on places like that, I think there can be a lot of disappointment because um, there's purely not enough seats yeah. <laughs> at the big name schools for everybody who who starts out thinking that, that that's their goal. There's places like the colleges and the colleges that change lives that will be a really good match for the right kind of student who wants uh, most of these schools, not entirely, but the majority are are residential. The majority are smaller. Many of them, if not all, are liberal arts colleges. So it really is that all around experience, like you mentioned, that it's the academics, but it's also the extracurricular opportunities and residential life and experiential learning, whether that's internships or studying abroad, things like that, that a student will come in and the idea is that during those four years in the U.S. of their undergraduate education, that they're going to be able to take advantage of all these opportunities to truly be a different person than the person that they came in, <laughs> came yeah. in as. Yeah. And I think that's it's a great time of your life to be able to do that. It's an inspiring model of education. Every small liberal arts college I've visited, I've, I've been able to see myself there and think, gosh, this is something I, I wish I'd been able to do. Um, yeah. Not, not say I, I, I dislike my undergraduate education at all, but to have something that is going to going to force you to think deeply about the world and your place in it and, and have all sorts of experiences, mm -hmm. I think, is, a, is is one of the U.S.'s finer gifts to the world. So so yeah. more, more, more power to, to you guys for what you do. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, I'm, glad to see, I'm glad to see that that more countries and more university systems are offering that as an option. I think in the Netherlands and Germany and certainly great great opportunities for students if they're not thinking about the U.S. to still look at some liberal arts options. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things when I, when I give talks in, in other high schools, as you know, and try and encourage students to think about, about studying abroad. Mm -hmm. And I have a list of myths that I put up as to university doesn't necessarily have to be the way that you think it is. And the number one is myth that I always put up is that you have to know what you're going to study at university when you apply to university. And it's a, it's part of the British system. It's the psyche of how yeah. we do it. But actually, it's a great story. I was I was, um, was at a high school almost about this time last year, about September last year, with yeah, with a group of colleges who were visiting. I was standing behind one of the um, the college representatives as he was talking to a group of students. And you could literally see the, the student's eyes almost explode with joy when he pointed out that she didn't have to choose between three different subjects she wanted to study at college. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's phenomenal to hear about about all these opportunities and for for people like yourself to get out around the world and tell students that university can work work differently yeah. for it. So we've, we've talked a few times and you mentioned it that you, know, you yourself studied at, at St. Olaf and you know, you've, you've seen the place develop and, and all the opportunities there. But as an alum of the college, it, does that make it easier for you to, to do what you do? Does it make it harder? Or is, you know, what is that like? Yeah, I think it definitely made it easier the first few years after graduation because it is so much about storytelling. And um, when it's your own experience and when you really care about a place, that that makes it a lot more fun to tell the stories, I think, because they're a lot more meaningful. The further I get away from graduation and the older I am, 
the harder it is. You know, I, I rarely use my own examples anymore. Now it's telling stories of the current students and what people are doing right now and perhaps how how the college has changed over the 20 years. I think what makes it easier is um, easier and harder, maybe in the, on two sides of the, the coin. Um, it's incredibly personal. You know, I I have a hard time setting boundaries with home and work and personal life um, because I do really care about St. Olaf as an institution, as a place, um, both because of my own experience here, but then that this has been my only job <laughs> where I've come to work every day. Um, so it's, it's an incredibly personal experience for me. And that means that I work really hard to do a good job, but sometimes maybe I work too hard because I care too much. <laughs> I think that's, that's education full stop. That's, that's the nature of what we do. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's everybody. Yeah. It's not just alums by any means. Um, and is it harder? Um, I think the further I get from graduation, from being a student, the less I try to compare. I mean, there's, it's a, it's a different place in a wonderful way. There's been a lot of great improvements over the 20 years and a lot more opportunities for students um, that only positive things, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the route that you mentioned at the start, and I, I, I do think there's, there's probably a, you know, a doctoral thesis in there somewhere of people who were, you know, as students helped out the admissions officers and were tour guides and then went into the field. A you know, number of times I've heard that. But quite commonly, people will do that kind of entry level admissions job for a couple of years and then find that the opportunity to grow means taking them to another institution. That's not mm -hmm. a pathway you've chosen. You know, can you see yourself working for another college at some point or, or is so, that such a part of who you are? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, yeah, I really um, push back, I think, against the idea when people say that you have to move to advance or have to move for new opportunities. And maybe I've just been really fortunate here to every few years have had the opportunity to be challenged in different ways and to to organize different things and to try new things. So for me, this continues to be a place where I've been able to grow. And a huge part of that was was the international opportunity. Ten years ago, it felt like I took a completely different job just being able to stay in a place that I really cared about. Um, I, again, probably the further I get away from my personal experience as a student, the more and more I could absolutely see representing another place. I think it would have to be uh, a similar place that values community, uh, a small school, strong academics, students coming from around the world, uh, certainly a place that is as committed to an international um, student body as St. Olaf has become over the last 10 years. Um, so those are important factors to me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing role to have the time to grow something and to build it in and to, to, to feel yeah. a little bit like your thing. I, I, I find myself in the odd situation of going going back quite regularly to the school I started counting at and built a program and, and thinking about yeah. it and reflecting on it. So so advice is to don't go back to the place where you built something. It's, uh, it's yeah, sometimes exactly. quite, yeah. quite challenging. If I leave, it'd be hard to ever look back. Um, but I think the, the longer people are in a role like this, and this is not just me or not just St. Olaf, but we, we get to travel around the world, and you had mentioned it. We get to talk about liberal arts. We get to talk about U.S. education in general. And some of my very favorite conversations or presentations are much more general 
um, than just saying, oh, of course we talk about the school we're representing and and we'll follow up with more information to the students who want to apply specifically to St. Olaf. But I think the the longer you do a job in international education, the more um, general it might become. And that's what is exciting to me, too. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on something there, which which I was talking about with John Wilkerson in the, in the conversation I had with him for a podcast recently. Um, and it is something which which I am myself reflecting on. I think all of us at, at this time in the world who work in entitlement are doing so is that but doing a, a job that forces you to be global, I, mean, I know it has changed me as a person and I can look at my, my three young children and think the work I'm doing is giving them a perspective on things that a lot of their peers don't have and certainly I didn't have at, at their age. You know, yep. Travelling the world, going to different countries, you know, I'm quite conscious that you, know, you and I, when we, we see each other in person, it's in different cities and different parts of yeah. the world. It's And we'll have conversations about that time we were in. I can't remember which country we were in. And it's a very unusual world to be in. And to outsiders, sometimes there is, as, you know, as John Wilkinson was pointing out, there can be a certain arrogance to it. Do you feel that all that travel and things, you know, it's given you a different perspective on life that otherwise you wouldn't have? Oh, without question. Absolutely. Um, personally, yeah, I, I never would have dreamt that I would have had the opportunity to travel as much as I've had. And it's been a huge gift, but I think the professional piece of it as well and the, the power of being able to see where students are coming from, I think is something that we actually don't talk a lot about, but students will say just little things in conversation and they know that we've been to their hometown and they know that there's at least one person who, you know, has been in their high school. And, and I took that for granted for a lot of years. And then it was a particular conversation where I realized how important that is to the students who end up coming to our institutions. So I think the argument could be made that we certainly don't have to travel as much as, as people used to, we can do so much virtually um, and electronically. And I think that's a great option for a lot of people in a lot of schools. But I think there's great importance in continuing to get around the world and meet students and families where they are. I think that really forms those relationships that are more life lifelong. Um, but so personally and professionally, it's absolutely changed me. I think about the world differently. I read the news differently. Um, certainly much more open to all kinds of things than I was as a college student myself. And I guess that's why we're doing the, the work that we do is to, to yep. give undergraduate students the opportunity to, to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, yep. you touched on it as well in there about technology and you know, a part of wanting to interview sort of people like yourselves and, um, and, and those who've got you know, a position of, in this field where they can see things through the lens of, of a career is to think about, you know, what, what's coming ahead of us, you know, the, the world is changing in all sorts of ways, uh, very rapidly, technology, political development, socioeconomic developments, you know, gazing into the future of the, sort of the next 10, 20 years of mm-hmm. international higher education and missions and the work that we all do. What, what yeah. developments might you think we, we could be having to come to terms with? Mm. Yeah, there's things that that we might have to come to terms with that that are negative or that we don't want to think about. But I think there's also so much opportunity out there as well. And I'd love to see some things change just to provide more access and to give more opportunity for students. So some things that we might have to face, I think 
sometimes it just doesn't seem sustainable, whether it's environmentally or financially um, or time or health that people spend so much time on planes um, traveling around and in and out of airports and oftentimes quick trips um, when things can be done a lot more efficiently and cost effectively, environmentally friendly online. So I think there's there's ways to think about things differently and probably will strike a balance in different ways over the next 10, 20 years of how to do that as technology becomes more and more available and easy to use and accessible. Um, but I think in 10, 20 years, I think there's so much opportunity for students to have great educational opportunities where they are and international education is our field. So I want students continue to, to continue to leave where they're from and, and have the adventure of an education in another place and meeting people from all over the world. But the reality is not everybody has the opportunity to do that. There's a whole lot of people who, who stay home when they'd rather study abroad because they're not given that opportunity. So to see, to see countries and um, institutions provide more opportunities around the world for students who can't come to the U.S. or the U.K. or, or other places where they might aspire to. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a very positive position in which to end. So, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. It's been been absolutely fascinating, not only to, to learn more about your career, but to understand a bit more about what small liberal arts colleges can do for students. So, so thank you very much. Thank you. It was great fun. Thanks a lot, David. As I mentioned in the interview with Jenny, I believe that small liberal arts colleges deliver a phenomenal education. And I'm really keen to enable more students to be aware of what they could get from a liberal arts college. It's really encouraging to hear that Jenny and her colleagues at other similar institutions stay committed to travelling the world to get this message out, as well as making the significant financial commitments to offer financial aid to international students. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. As ever, please subscribe via Spotify or Buzzsprout. Follow me on Twitter at UniGuyDavid or get in touch directly. 